Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, this is Bo with Running Light Ministries, and we welcome you to the Better Pleasure Podcast for this week in May. This is May 19th, 2017. Hope you guys are doing well. My uh, sidekick, Peter is out of town this week so i'm riding solo here doing the podcast for you guys and girls and we thank you for listening we hope that you appreciate um, the podcast and um getting some good information out of it i know everyone's kind of a little different this one's going to be much different than our normal one since peter's out of out of town i'm going to actually uh read to you guys a blog that i recently um did and posted on my uh, private blog site on WordPress, which is actually, you could find it just by going to typing running light in the WordPress search engine, and you'll probably find it. But I also posted it on our runninglight.org page, so you could check it out there. Uh, This blog is um, about um, the interview last week I did with Dr. David Lay. And if you're not familiar with uh, Dr. David Lay, he is a clinical psychologist who wrote a pretty popular book um, in the field called The Myth of Sex Addiction. And obviously it's quite um, different from the Christian culture where we use the term sex addiction all the time. And of course, uh, there's all these different ministries and everything's about sex addiction and you're addicted to sex and um and uh you know that type of culture and this this book really um was kind of the pendulums pulling on the other side and so it's a great read if um you kind of have an open mind a little bit and you want to take a peek at maybe seeing what other people think about this issue of sex addiction and if there is such a thing and uh i thought it was a great read myself um and so I wanted to interview him, and uh, just to let you guys know too, is uh, a lot of times, you know, in a ministry like this, uh, you know, it's wonderful to be able to talk to people who share a similar desire to help people. And though we have different maybe views on 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 things, and they could be radically different, um, it, it uh, for me it's it doesn't prevent me from wanting to engage in conversation or dialogue. So uh, I find it fairly important to do so. Dr. David Lay has been on television. I know I've seen him on Dr. Phil before. So he is quite a, quite a character and certainly has gone or been around, let me say, and um, spoken at various um, things. So it was a real privilege to actually be able to chat with him and to have him i thought it would be awesome too just to me be an evangelical christian and being someone who's so in the evangelical world um, i thought it would be awesome to have uh, maybe be a contact for him too maybe he doesn't have anybody who's really in that that evangelical world um, um, that talks to him about these subjects so pretty stoked um for sure and so the blog basically was just an introduction kind of of what i just said about dr david lay um again the church culture is of course one where addiction is always spoken of as a fact and 
myself personally, um, I don't use that word sex addiction or that phrase sex addiction um, in our groups a lot. Um, we, it's not that the ministry doesn't use those terms. Um, uh, at times we do, especially in counseling. Um, but I don't like to emphasize sex addiction and there's many reasons why. Um, uh, but just to, um, uh, cut through it all right now and just be as quick as I can about it. Concise is, uh, when there's so much, it's almost like an oversimplification when someone says, Hey, I'm a sex addict. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means. Does that mean that you like sex? Does it mean that you want to have sex more than you think what is normal? Or does it mean what the kind of sex that you like to do? Is is that the addiction, what we're calling the addiction? Um, or you think about sex a lot. Is that what you mean by being sex a sex addict? Um, it could be many things. Um, and, and sometimes just our identities as people can get caught up in phrasing. So we can get our identity caught up in this idea of I'm a sex addict and that's just who I am, you know, is I'm an addict. And, um, and again, we, the, that term sex addict could be used for a lot of things. We just, you know, we have to kind of get down to the nub of what do we mean by it? Um, but I don't like, I don't like the guys coming in the, our guys group, I don't, you know, um, with that kind of, uh, identification, you know, cause we're a Christian group. I like them to have their identification in Jesus Christ. Um, the Bible tells us that we are immersed in Jesus Christ in Romans chapter six says we were not only immersed into his death, but we've been immersed into his resurrection as well and so we literally have uh, joined forces with Jesus when we put our trust in him as the sacrifice of atonement for us and all of our sins and what a blessing praise God for that um, and that's what I want my identity to be in not in uh, that I am a sex addict and that's what I am uh, so many, many guys that come in are very defeated. So I like to get their identities on Jesus. So I don't like to use the term, but it is something that uh, is just seems like just the cliche thing. You know, if you watch porn, you're a sex addict. If you uh, like sex, you're a sex addict. If you do it certain ways, you're a sex addict. If I mean, it could be, a, like I said, it can just very elusive word or phrase. So uh, some people have asked me, why would you interview Dr. David Lair? Why would you want to chat with him? And it's really not an interview. It's really just a chat. And, and I do apologize. I messed up on the recording. I totally did something stupid. And um, unfortunately, you could hear him, but like so tiny. I can't even raise the amplification on uh, digitally on like my editing software because it's it just it, it's so hard to hear. It's just really muffled and messed up. And um so uh, um, all you have on the recording is really me talking to him and then you hear him kind of, you know, mumbling. So uh, but we'll talk again. I mean, he, he's a good guy and he uh, certainly 
uh, it was open to us chatting some more in the future. So I think we'll do it again and we, we post it because he does have some cool things to say. But the blog basically consists of, I think, kind of some of, the, some of the things I got out of it that just stood off right off in my head. So, of course, we don't see eye to eye on everything. But certainly the man has a heart for people. Uh, though he admits, and I found this really uh, neat, that he admits that in the sex community, uh, you know, counseling community, psychology, I guess, community in the uh, United States, he is a kind of a block of dynamite. You know, he is kind of a firecracker. So he has stirred the pot. He's been used to stir the pot quite a bit. So he, he's a little bit controversial, we, sh we could say. So I had a feeling that we would have a, a pretty good time, though. Because I tend to be a little bit like that, too, I think, in our own Christian culture when it comes to the, these issues. Um, which we did have a good time, I think. And um, here is an example from his book, uh, The Myth of Sex Addiction, page 3, that I think captures his heart. It says, in quotes, This diagnosis, sex addiction, poses a real risk of stigma and shame to innocent people simply because their sexual behaviors do not fit what is defined as the social norm, though we truly have little data about what that norm actually is. So what I, what I saw in that quote was that he says shame to innocent people. And, of course, not everybody who's doing sex acts um, are innocent. Some people, obviously, are guilty. But what he's getting at there is that he sees people that are coming to him and others for help, for clinical help, and they've already diagnosed themselves as a sex addict. And what it's created in them is a, a this shame and this stigma that they can't seem to get out of, that I am this. Again, their identification is in this, this idea of sex addiction. And what he's seeing is that it's really preventing them from getting to really the nub of what they do and why they do it. And um, and so he he's really has a heart for wanting to help people. And he sees that there's this stigma that's kind of overshadowing really getting down to the real issues to help them in their recovery. So... Um, I tend to always feel as though I should learn from those who have thought much on these issues. And the best advice I had before entering the time with David was simply to ask him questions and listen and learn. And that certainly was good advice. Um, I noticed, or I notified David for the interview, and he obliged graciously. So one of the ideas that he really was hitting home on concerned this shaming of an act instead of looking at the inner heart behind the act. And this is what he, he really wanted to hit off of. Um, I could tell he was frustrated in an ocean of sex addiction culture that tends to judge an act as wrong first and then later go to the heart issues. Um, but he would like to see that, uh, that approach clinically reversed. So where we actually dealt with the heart issues first. Um, and then go to, um, and then talk about the actual action. So he stressed that. I even wrote down act and value, meaning not 
don't just attack someone's act of what they're doing sexually, but it's getting down to the, the value of it. Why did they do what they did? What's going on in their life? What's going on in their heart? What are the issues that are happening in their life? Are they fearful? Do they have, are they insecure over something? Are they, do they, do they feel stressed in life? Do they feel like they have to have an outlet? Um, do, do they, are they getting something from a real risky behavior? Um, you know, is there some kind of thrill that they're getting from that? Um, why are they seeking that in the first place? Um, there's all these things that he sees that that's really important to not just go at someone, not just t say, oh, what, what did you do? You went and, and had a prostitute? Oh, God, you're bad. Like, instead of going that route, is trying to sit with that person and actually get to some of the hard issues behind them. I mean, Jesus, you know, what's so neat about Jesus, of course, is he, he didn't just break out a law and say, hey, don't commit adultery, uh, quoting Moses, but he, he talked about lust, right? He who looks at a woman or a man or anybody with lust in their heart, you know, obviously he says, you know, the adultery's there. And, uh, you know, that's the heart issue that Jesus is talking about. So I could relate to David in that way. Um, in his book, The Myth of Sex Addiction, page 46, he talks about the research um, of the multi-level of issues that predominantly come out in a person who self-diagnoses themselves with sex addiction. He says, this is the problem of the concept of sex addiction. Surveys of sex addicts show up that up to 40% have anxiety dis disorders, 40% have substance abuse disorders, and 70% have mood disorders. And he goes on further to even get into more stuff. Um, but his point, obviously, is that when a, someone says they're a sex addict, usually there's are all the time, there's all these other issues that are going on in their life. Uh, meaning the issue is not so much sex. Um, the issues are are their anxiety or their substance abuse issues or their mood disorders or many other things that he writes about and that they've seen clinically. And that's so true. I mean, I always have told people in our groups that, man, if it's just getting them off porn uh, or self-gratifying, gosh, man, that's great. That's easy. I mean that. I mean, just getting off something and stopping uh, a behavior, we can do that. You can just toss everything out. You can do a lot of amputation, cutting off things. I mean, you can really do that. But you can still be a jerk, and that's the problem. Is you can still be a jerk to your kids, to your wife, um, all that. Um, so if you don't get to the issues that really bother you in your life, then. Uh, you know, getting off stuff's not going to do much good for you practically in life. So I understood the point. So what if a person comes to me and I simply avoided his marriage issues or maybe the stress he or she is under or maybe the tragedy that they've experienced in life and just simply uh, concluded that healing could come by simply just throwing out his computer I mean, what if that was the case, right? Certainly there's a time to throw out the, the computer, but there is really a lot of fallow ground to break up first, right? There's things that need to get kind of uprooted in a person's life, really think through stuff. 
So you have to get to know a person and his life and his behaviors. Um, and I think about my own life and how I relate to, to porn. Most of the time, most of the time, I don't even think about wanting to watch it. Like in a day, I don't, I don't sit there and go, man, I want to watch porn. Like that just seems like that'd be awesome. I don't go to bed with a, 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 a phone by me to watch porn or th- that kind of thing. But there are certain times that it does tantalize me. Random. I don't, I'm not sure. Sometimes it's, I mean, just it, sometimes it does. But not just any, not just porn in general. It has to be certain kinds of porn. So it can't just be anything. So you, you, you know, it's not like you just go up to someone who says, oh, I, you know, or you know someone who struggles with pornography. It's not like you show him uh, a nude picture and he's going to freak out. And it's not like, you know, it's not like he, he might not even be into just nude pictures. He, that might not do nothing to him. It might do everything to him. It's like you don't know. Some people some people struggle with looking at cert, like one thing. Uh, it could be anything. I mean – I mean, there's so many different ways that lust moves in a person's life. And if there's anything that porn shows you, today's porn culture, is that there is massive variety. And people are stimulated by just about, I mean, so many different things. But not everybody is stimulated by them all. So that's something to always remember, you know. So... I, I, my point is, is that when I think of my own life, I think that it's, it's, it's about getting to know my heart and, you know, what's going on in there. It's not just attacking pornography, um, but it's getting to know why I do what I do. Um, so if I ask someone, let me put it another way. If I ask someone, if I asked you that's listening to the podcast today, uh, how would you respond? And you have to be honest, okay? That's the important part of this little idea. So you got to be honest. Okay. Most of us would admit, admit that we eat for many of the same reasons we do many things. Like if I asked you, why did you eat today? Um, you'd probably say comfort, release stress bored um the food's supposed to be good to me it's just what we do as human beings maybe um it keeps you in shape you might say that i might ask what kind of shape is it keeping you in right depending on what you're eating Um, but all these and many more answers would be the same for someone who's viewing pornography if you ask someone why they view porn they might say comfort stress release i'm bored um, it's supposed to be good for me, which a lot of people do say masturbations, it's good for you. Um, that's what different, um, you can read up on different doctors say that kind of stuff. Um, you could say that it's just what we do as human beings. That's what we do. You could say that it keeps me in shape, keeps me active, keeps me focused, you know, keeps me ready, ready for sex. Um, you know, you, so you, it would be all the same thing, right? It'd be the same. My point is that there are many things we do, which we do not have good reasons for them. So it's not just, not just in pornography and quote sexual addiction, but that's in everything in life, right? 
that we don't have great reasons for why we do it. Or we simply do them out of a consistent behavior over time. We just get into a, a habit. And that's what we mean usually by addiction, right? It's just a habit. It's just a bad habit. Um, and we can all agree that changing a behavior is not easy, let alone changing a person's paradigm or their entire life. So I can see David's point. He seems concerned that those in the sex addiction camp treat everybody alike, which I assume is too simplistic of an opinion, but I certainly understand his heart behind it. Um, and I and I like the approach he's saying. So I hope I hope that makes sense to you. So what David's getting at is is it sounds like is that he he is fearful that the when you say someone's a sex addict you're really negligent or you can easily be negligent of all the other issues that really are going on in that guy's life because you're so focused on the act itself so david lay on this topic again says in his in that book uh, the myth of sex addiction page 47 as one sex therapist and clinician described to me the sex addiction diagnosis is a lazy diagnosis it ignores more relevant emotional and psychiatric issues to focus exclusively upon a person's sexual behavior. So that's 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 his fear of the sex addiction camp. I don't think all sex addiction models my, myself focus exclusively upon a person's sexual behavior in therapy or counseling any more than me as a biblical counselor would. So I don't. Uh, so my my point is my opinion is I don't think all sex addiction therapists focus exclusively on the act and not the value of the person or what they're going on, what's going on in their heart. So I personally, as a pastor, can only go over what the Bible teaches about sex, sexuality, sensuality, gender, God, and of course the like. Um, and it is through these talks, when we're talking about these subjects, we're able to get into so many foundational areas of life, dare I say, all areas of life, though I am readily admitting that of the person's sex choices have become extreme and damaging. So it's not that I'm negligent of the damage of the act in the counseling that I do or that we do at Running Light. No way. I mean, we understand the ramifications of the act. But, we, but I don't think we're, we are neglecting trying to get to people's hearts. And as we talk about God and we talk about the Bible and what the Bible says about things, and, and, and we bring up our life and the way we're raised and what, how we think in counseling, gosh, we get into all kinds of uh, things to really know people's hearts. As David was kicking back in his chair, dialoguing with me, there was something he said that I would have loved to talk to him about the entire time. The subject turned to objective and subjective truth as it relates to sex addiction model. Let me explain here. Dr. David Lay was frustrated at the sex addiction model for reasons of inconsistency in its reasoning for why certain sex acts are bad. As he saw it, there is a chink in the armor, and so they have changed their tune a bit. Again, let me explain. He says the sex addiction model, changing its reasoning as to why pornography or other alternative sex is bad from morality arguments from the past 30 years to today where the stress of the argument lies in public health issues 
um, examples are ministries like Fight the New Drug, or you can Google the Texas House Resolution 112, um, which is about uh, basically bringing to the floor a notion of banning pornography because it's a public health issue, not for morality. Um, so I hope that makes sense to you. What he says, what he's seeing is just that inconsistency that 30 years ago, the sex addiction therapists were saying, hey, sex addiction is the reason why the sex is addiction is because you guys are doing something that's amoral or, or immoral, not doing anything. It's you're doing something that is a is unethical in your sex. And that's why it's wrong. We're 30 years later nowadays it we don't say that we say oh it's sex addiction because now it's a public health issue or um uh, we use public health to, to try to uh promote that the sex act is wrong or bad and he sees that as an inconsistency so i brought up the seemingly similarities to the prohibition movement from a century ago and he nodded in agreement uh, this was nothing new to me, meaning me personally, Bo. Um, um, I teach a presentation every semester at the junior college on issues like this. Uh, the Kefauver Senate hearings of 1955, um, in addition to many things shared, commented on the dangers to porn on the youth culture as material was being delivered in the mall. In the mail, sorry, but this is back in 1955. There was a Senate hearing, and some of the things that were spoken about were uh, uh, obscenity and uh, it being a public health issue. And uh, the quote that I have from the Senate hearings of 1955 are: "In some of this rude material, the purveyors lure children in ordering and paying for. In the larger percentage of cases, however, it was has not been ordered at all." It is the sales solicitation material, which in itself is usually debauched and rankly obscene, and it goes to children as young as eight years old because their names land on the mailing list. All this, may I say, is utter and deadly nonsense. Our society has many provisions that protect minor children from corrupting them or dangerous influences. Preventing them Preventing the peddling of pornographic material to children is no more a violation of civil liberties than is preventing the sale of liquor or dope or are to these children. So that was the Kefauver Senate hearings of 1955. And basically, it's just saying that, you know, there was mail orderings that were happening. People were sending obscenity through the mail and uh, young children would be getting these things. Um, because they would get their addresses, they would get their name somehow, from some record or something, and even though the kid never asked for it, he was getting mail, but it was obscenity mail. Pretty interesting. So, but it's a public health issue, public health crisis. And you've probably heard that with the issue of pornography. It's a public health issue. Um, and that's what becomes kind of the big pull for wanting to ban it. Um, but the committee did uh, not have the research that we have today to tote out on the ever-changing brain, especially in young people. And you can check out your brain on porn if you want to Google that. 
Um, it is very true that the argument has changed when it comes to uh, obscenity. It had in, uh, as it had in the prohibition movement when it came to alcohol, um, so many years ago too, it was like this. Drinking too much was a moral issue at one time, but when it could not be passed as such, they changed the propaganda and using the public health card won the day. So that's what happened in prohibition, right? You study that, you'll see that they try to pass a bill through a morality issue, that it was wrong. It's, it's wrong to be a drunkard. But uh, it didn't work. It didn't happen. So when they made uh, the push to make it a public health issue, especially on young people, um, then it, it became passed. So you see a similarity with uh, the desire to ban porn with a lot of people today. So I've, I've blogged about those issues in the past. You could always scope out my blogs to to read stuff if you're interested in that stuff. So David sees this change as a move from objectivity to subjectivity and certainly losing credibility in doing so. So his basically thought is, hey, why are they changing their tune? If it's a moral issue, then make it a moral issue. But if it's not a moral issue, then uh, or, or don't be promoting that it's a, uh, you know, that it's a public health issue. Um, and, and that's what you're trying to pull for instead of making it a moral issue so um, he saw an inconsistency there I'm not sure it's an inconsistency it could probably be both if you really think through the issue I think I think that it can be a moral issue and it can be a public health issue because usually moral issues are public health issues if you think about it right I mean you know a moral issue like murdering that also is a public health issue so um, even simple, something as simple as the speed limit, um, I mean, you can make it, it's a moral issue in the sense of, you know, uh, caring for people on the road. You're not caring if you're going 150 and everybody's going 55. Um, you know, there's a morality, um, issue there, but it also is very public health because you don't want to get hit by someone going 155. Um, so the morality, though, issue is is dead, usually. You don't hear people ever come at the sexual issues really with a morality argument anymore. Um, so uh, most people just don't do that. Um, so the morality argument is dead. But what about those needing help? How can we help them if we are inconsistent with why the behavior is wrong in the first place? This is where I think I saw the conversation going is David has a heart to help people. And when he sees an inconsistency in how we, uh, the emphasis that we place on the behavior, uh, meaning if one minute someone comes to me and, I, and he, he's bummed about what he does and I say, well, you're, that's because it's against your morals. It's not a good thing what you did your morals are messed up and he goes yeah okay but then if next week he comes in and I go hey it's not really a moral issue but it's one of a public health issue um, he says we can really do damage to a lot of people it seems like that's what he's getting at is we this inconsistency we have can uh, can have its effects on those that really want to get help and, and I can see that too I think you got to in the Christian life, I think we have to 
stand up for what we believe and we have to kind of ground ourselves in it, whether it's uh, issues of creation and evolution, um, which I think is a big one. You have to, you have to, I mean, if you believe the Bible, you got to believe the Bible. And uh, I don't think, I think David Lay is a great example of that. He'd rather see us be consistent instead of concede, uh, you know, and say, oh, well, that really, that, no, I don't, I don't really believe that part of the Bible or something like that. He'd like us to be consistent in how we are, are acting. So I, I see that a lot. Um, when it comes to like evolution and creation, if someone says, Hey, is the earth young? And you go, well, it doesn't have to be, you know, the Bible, you know, it doesn't really tell us. Da, 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 da. I still, still think it could be 50 trillion billion years old or things like that. Then, you know, sometimes an atheist won't, won't respect you because he knows you're being inconsistent with the text and, uh, therefore you lose credibility there. And, um, you know, so anyway, um, being consistent. So as counselors, it's important that we're consistent. If we believe it's a moral issue, then we need to stick to our guns and emphasize those points. Um, so um, being consistent, I definitely made me think about that. Um, then lastly, um, we talked a little bit. I wanted to talk to him about wives because um, we have a group that meets of women. Um, usually they consist of a, wives of those that are in our, our groups with men. And I was wondering to, to get any insight from him being this clinician uh, about uh, our clin clinical psychologist about maybe any input he can give to, to wives. I thought that would be cool. But really, he just sat back in his chair. Or chair, I could see him because it was a video chat, and and he just kind of looked up to the heavens and had this kind of puzzled look on his face. And I knew at that point that that uh, he was kind of at a loss. And he really, really to expressed that you know he just there wasn't much hope for him in that area. Meaning he he saw that there was such a need to be developed still. Um, an area to help the spouses. It's not easy. And and really, for both parties in a marriage, it is very difficult. So unfortunately, he didn't have anything really to say to the the, the ladies, other than he, he knows that there's such a big need there. Um, but if you are a woman out there, you know, keep going to the groups, keep um, being plugged in. Uh, you got to have that fellowship in your life. You got to be talking. You got to really look at, um, I mean, keep listening to our podcast. Hopefully uh, it helps you to understand a little more. And hopefully it helps you to think through the issues yourself because they are difficult issues. And one that most people don't ever talk about. Um, there's such fear of losing uh, everything in life or uh, dissolving a marriage and, and the fears of that. And, and sometimes we have kids involved in, in our families and, and that becomes another issue and difficulties. So these are not easy issues to deal with. So um, 
I was really blessed though, just to think of our group here and just what a blessing it is for the wives just to be able to be around each other. Know there's women around that um, go through what you're going through. So um, we hope to continue to develop that. And our, our counselor, Lisa Keller, of course, uh, the reason, one of the reasons she's with Running Light is to be able to help out in those areas. So another quote from the myth of sex addiction uh, from David Lay um, is pretty cool. And I really, I think it really shows that his mind is really open um, to really where the evidence leads on the issues of sex addiction, but it's just not out yet, he believes. It says there is not just one answer to the question of sex addiction. It is not just an impulse or a compulsion. It is not just the effect of testosterone or dopamine. The reason the concept of sex addiction is so challenging to pin down is the many different social and moral concepts that are embedded within it, where the only commonality is that the issue of sexual behavior is involved. The other issues that are involved, whether it be emotional function, functioning, brain functioning, relationship skills, adaptability, are ignored by the extreme focus on sexual behaviors. So I think there he is just showing that 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 um, when you're talking about sex addiction, you're just taught you're, that there's so much to talk about. And um, there's biological functions, there's psychological functioning, um, you know, there's all this cultural adaptability that he's talking about that all has to, you all have to deal with those things. So um, it was a great time with, with him, really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope uh, the next time I do it, we can get it right and uh, record it. That way you guys could check it out. So that was just my little update on that. Um, hope you guys dig it. Um, we do have a Beauty for Ashes group coming up in June. You can check out the website for that. Um, Bethany Page and Lisa Keller will both be at that group um, helping lead that one. So women, if you're out there, you will want to definitely go to that with both of those ladies there. I'm sure it'll be a good time. Pray for us. Our Salvation Army group will get started back up in June. So we'll be doing that. And, uh, man, we'll be we're plugging along, I guess, on a new website from what I hear. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. So thanks for checking us out. And uh, thanks for being a part of this new culture of trying to walk in love and not lust. So be well. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.